Now, um, in this summer series, we've been looking at the characteristics of God, talking about God is. And today we'll be talking about another aspect of uh, God. But I want to start out by asking you some questions. And don't answer out loud. I just want you to think about these first. When Solomon was taking over the kingdom uh, after David, his father, uh, God said to Solomon, ask me what it is you want to give me. And Solomon had a choice to make. Uh, What did he ask for? Number two, if God were to ask you the same thing, just ask me what you want for me to give to you. Basically a blank check from God. What would you ask for? Okay. Now, we're looking today at the characteristic of God that says God is wise. God has wisdom as well as knowledge. We have a lot of knowledge, but I don't know if we have wisdom. And uh, our scripture is out of Romans 11, 33 through 36. And this is what uh, Paul is writing after he has written some heavy theological work. And Romans basically is Paul's theology. It's great reading. Sometimes it's troubling. But when he comes to the end of chapter 11, he just breaks out in a song of praise, a doxology. Uh, and this is what he says about God. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Now listen how Paul states this about the wisdom of God. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments. Then you get down into the last chapter, part of the last verse uh, in the book of Romans. Paul says that God, with a capital G, is the only wise God. A lot of other gods in this world, but they're lowercase g. But our God is the only wise God. Now you probably figure this out even if you don't remember the story of Solomon taking over the kingdom. But now you can answer out loud. When God gave Solomon a blank check and said, uh, uh, tell me what it is you want me to give you. What did Solomon ask for? He asked for wisdom. And that was, a, that was a great move. He was a smart man. Unfortunately, Solomon didn't always follow his own thoughts and concepts and teachings about wisdom. And he had trouble as a result of that. Now, let's, let me ask you this one. I thought we'd ask you to think about this one. If you were faced with a similar circumstance and God said, tell me what you want. Or God stood before you today and said, basically I've got a blank check for you. Tell me what it is you want. What do you think you would ask for? Would you ask for wisdom? Or is there something else that you might think is more important or something more relevant, something more current in your life right now? What would you ask for? Okay. Now, uh, let me ask you to think about one other thing as we move through talking about the fact that God is wise. If God is the wise God and His wisdom is beyond knowledge for us and beyond searching out, is there any kind of event or circumstance in your life going on right now or that's happened recently that maybe has caused you to wonder about the wisdom of God? You see, we started out on this laying the foundation of the characteristics of God this summer by talking about God is sovereign. And then we talked about the fact that God is good and God is love and all those things are building. And today we come to see that God is wise. Now, what does that mean for us? So hold all those thoughts and we'll see how they, they come in uh, to play uh, in, as we go through the message. I think a lot of people would ask for wisdom. 
I'm not sure that they would ask for the right kind because if you would do a simple uh, search on Amazon.com with books with the titles that had wisdom in it, you would find almost uh, 4,400 books that just immediately pop up with all kinds of wisdom that range from uh, Jewish wisdom, Quaker wisdom, Celtic wisdom, wisdom of the Zen masters, wisdom of the Native Americans, Amish wisdom, wisdom from ancient Egypt, Irish wisdom, and uh, folk wisdom. You'd also hear wisdom. Wisdom from Abraham Lincoln, King Solomon, you can read that in Proverbs especially, Ben Franklin, Billy Graham, Tom Landry, Winston Churchill, Confucius. Now here's the categories I like. Be interesting reading, I believe. Wisdom from taxi drivers. Now I bet they would have some stories to tell. Wisdom from cowboys. I love to read westerns, and, and I think that would be an interesting read about how you get wisdom from cowboys. Now, this is the one intrigued me. Wisdom from football players. Is that, that kind of an oxymoron? <laughs> wisdom from football players? How about wisdom from bumper stickers? Boy, there's some wild bumper stickers out there. A lot of them I cannot even understand. Or wisdom from dogs and cats, wisdom from greeting cards, and wisdom from country music songs. That and the cowboys would probably go along together. A lot of people are looking for wisdom, maybe just not in the right place. Maybe not in the, in the correct sources that um, we need to look for. It. But wisdom is something that we desire. We've got a lot of information and we have a lot of knowledge today. Like no generation or no culture has ever had before. Think about all the advances in modern technology and all the ways that science is discovering more and more about the human body and the different uh, treatments for different diseases that, that are being brought to the surface and all the different discoveries made in outer space and discoveries about the world in which we live and, and all of those things about uh, revelation to us and knowledge that comes to us. A century and a half ago, it took news three weeks to travel from England across the Atlantic over here to America. Now we've got worldwide news at our fingertips. We see it as it is happening. You know, no matter where you are, you can, you can watch that. You can get online and watch it, even on television. I read somewhere that it's been stated that there's more information in one Sunday edition of the New York Times than one person would ever be exposed to during the Middle Ages. Now, that's something to think about, isn't it? That, that's kind of profound about how knowledge has been increased and made available to us like never before. Technology is advancing at a rapid pace, and we're the beneficiaries of it if you choose to use it correctly. But I think there's also a sense in the mindset of the culture today and our people around us that the wisdom they need and the knowledge that they have don't always go together. And that's because there's a vast difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is having a lot of information and facts. Wisdom is being smart enough to take all that information and to make it work, to do the right things and to make the wisest decisions about that. You see, wisdom sees the big picture. It's able to see all the parts of the, of the picture and what's intended to take place and then make the wise decisions about that. See, knowledge is just the, the abundance of a lot of information. We've got a lot of brilliant fools around us that they cannot make wise decisions about the things in life. But we're told that God is wise and that nothing can challenge His wisdom. No one, nobody's mind can fathom that or search out the wisdom of God. So, let me just quickly this morning say three things to you about this, about the wisdom of God. First of all, I think we'd have to underscore that the Bible teaches us that God's wisdom is unlimited. 
Let me give you several verses for reference. Isaiah 40, 28. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary in his understanding. No one can fathom. See, he's got all that knowledge, his understanding. Psalm 147, 5. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. Any of our children recognize that verse? That was the main verse at Bible school this summer. Yeah, except it was in the King James, so it sounds just a little bit different. Hebrews 4.13, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. And then in Proverbs 15.3, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. It's not Santa Claus that's watching you, it's God. And He knows everything that we do and say. Now, I think what all these verses and thousands of others throughout the Bible tell us is that God is indeed the wise God. That God is wise and that God has wisdom. And that there's absolutely nothing that God does not know. Now, from the spinning of the galaxies hundreds of light years away or to the movement and vibrations of subatomic particles... Everything in creation is known by God. And that's understandable because God created it all and He keeps it going. He keeps it sustained even today. And think about that. Every word spoken, every thought thought by every person right now and everybody from the past, God knows. And everything that takes place in the future, He will know it. Everything that's going on. That's our all-wise God. And nothing can challenge the wisdom of God. Does your mind know everything that's going on? No. We can't control that. We can't even imagine that. Now, here's the second thing then we would say about that then. And that is that God's wisdom exceeds our wisdom. That makes logical sense, doesn't it? God knows all these things about everybody, every thought, every effort, every word, every action, and all of that. We don't know that. And when we look at our scripture today in in Romans 11 here in this great doxology, I think what Paul is saying is, wow, God's wisdom is so deep and His judgments are so unsearchable, nobody's human mind can comprehend that. No, it's just so deep, so marvelous, so wonderful that we cannot even dare to think of being a counselor or giving God advice. And yet we want to do that all the time, don't we? The circumstances that happen in our life, circumstances that happen around the world, like say the the shooting in Colorado Friday night at the Batman movie. I think it was Friday night, wasn't it? I mean a tragedy like that. And maybe you might want to say, okay, if God is sovereign and God is good and God is love and God is wise, then did, did this thing get by him? Surely he knew the thoughts and the actions of that young man and what he was going to do. Why didn't God do something and stop it? Well, those are questions that you have to deal with with faith, right? And you see, we have to accept it by faith because our brain does not work the way God works. We can't comprehend what God knows. See, I'm told that the human brain at birth weighs about, on the average, 14 ounces. Now, parents, listen to this. It usually reaches the maximum age... It usually reaches the, uh, its maximum size at age 15. That's why you have trouble on your hands with teenagers. No slap to you all, but that's part of what's going on. Your brain is growing and all that. You know, um, it also at its um, uh, intelligence level, maybe at maximum size, is 46 ounces. 
Now you think about that. I got chastised after the first service because I said uh, I, was, I, I was illustrating with uh, mass and volume as one. And I said, I knew there'd be some scientists who want to ruin that illustration. But it's like this. I, I was coming back to the office one day this week and I said, you know what? For some reason I got a hankering for a fountain drink. I, so I pulled in one of these quick stops and I went over there. Hadn't done that in a while and I looked and there was, you know, you started out with like a 32 ounce cup and a 48 ounce cup and then they got to just where, might as well just buy a liter bottle. It's 99 cents. It's cheaper, right? But it's not cold with the ice and all that. And I got to thinking, you know, with that big size cup, you could probably take that brain and put it in that cup. Somebody said, you're mixing mass and volume. I said, well, you know what? I still think you could shove the brain in that cup. It would hold it. But you see, there's a part of our problem is God's mind is infinite and our mind is finite. We can't think of the way that God thinks. Now, it, 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 let me give you some thoughts about how to do something, an exercise that might, that might even um, help you with that. Here we are sitting in 2012, a little over halfway through the year. Think back about 100 years. Take you back to about what? 1912. Then think forward about 100 years. Take you over to what? 2112. So just think back. Okay, you can know something. You can read the history back 100 years. And there's some description of the way life was and all that kind of stuff. And we see some of the modern advances and all that kind of stuff like that. And then, well, what in the world is going to take place in another 100 years? What's going to happen? We begin to wonder about that. Now, if you really want to stretch your brain, try 1,000 years in either direction. If you want another brain twister... Think about the largest number that you've ever heard of or you can think of. And then add another billion to it. You see, that would just absolutely blow our minds. Like overloading a computer. For God, it's no problem. None whatsoever. When you think about history on display, I think there's some display at, uh, at the State Museum about the Titanic. And you remember what was said about the Titanic when it was created, built, and going to have its maiden voyage? Not even God could sink it. And God says, is that right? And you know the rest of the story. Don't flout your finger at God. Why? He's God. You're not. God has all wisdom. He knows everything. He makes every decision correctly that needs to be made. All of His ways are wise. Now think about that in whatever you were thinking about earlier when I asked you to think about what is the place in your life or the issue in your life where you might need God's wisdom applied. And does that wisdom that you see at work in your life make sense the way God is moving and acting in your life? Different things. In the life of our church we've got people with job issues. We got people with health issues. We got family issues. You know, we got all those kind of spiritual issues. We got all those kinds of things going. But God is at work in your life through all of those things. And in His wisdom, He takes all kinds of knowledge and everything into consideration to make the wisest decisions about everything that needs to be done. And that might lead us to a point of contention with God's wisdom. When you think about things like the shooting in Colorado, and you think about the disappointment, what's going on in your life. Is God a wise God to let this happen to me? Well, let me share with you what I think is a wise quote and something that might help guide our thoughts. Let's put it up on the screen and look at it together. 
This is quoted by Charles Ryrie in a book by Chip Ingram, uh, from Charles Ryrie by Chip Ingram in a book entitled God as He Longs for You to See Him. One of the resources about the characteristics of God and how He wants you to know Him. But let's look at that. The wisdom of God tells us that God will bring about the best possible results by the best possible means for the most possible people for the longest possible time. Now, you're probably not going to remember all that. Let's, let's read it together, okay? The wisdom of God tells us that God will bring about the best possible results by the best possible means for the most possible people for the longest possible time. Now, let me ask you, do you believe that's true? Do you believe that that's how God works in His wisdom? See, it says that the implication is that whatever's going on in your life, whatever's going on in your world, whatever's going on in the world is going on the way that God has designed it to be. Somebody once said, you know, I, I, I cannot understand your mind, but I can trust in your love. You see, that's an act of faith. That's where we have to see ourselves. That's where we have to respond to these things in life that we really don't understand. And you see, what's going on in your life that you might think is not good and not right and not a blessing, if there was another way for God to bring about in your life what He wanted to do, He would be doing that. So, how do you feel about that? Do you have the faith to accept it? You know, people are asking me, how can you, how can you de- defend a, a loving, kind, sovereign God who allowed that tragedy to take place this past weekend? And my answer is simple. I can't. And if they ask, well, how do you deal with that? You're supposed to be a Christian. You're a pastor. How do you deal with that? I said, I deal with it by faith. It's a tragedy. And somehow by faith, I have to believe that God is at work and going to do something in that process and in that situation. Now, go back and look at the Scripture today. This is Paul, the Apostle, writing this wonderful doxology of praise about the wisdom of God. And about how he's going to bring about the best good and all that. Think about Paul's life. How he was converted dramatically. And then how he was called to preach. And how he went around the world, that known world at that time, his world. And planted churches and proclaiming the gospel. And he was not greeted warmly everywhere he went, was he? He suffered shipwrecks. He was beaten several times. He was stoned. He was drug out of the city. He thought that he was dead. He was insulted. He was humiliated. Even Christians chastised him and doubted his credentials. But yet God was at work in all of that through the wisdom of God. Now think about our salvation. How did that come about? In a way that some people would think absolutely ludicrous. And Paul addresses that in 1 Corinthians uh, in the first chapter. Listen to what Paul says, beginning in verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. That's what he does with your wisdom and mine. He says, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know Him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. 
Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Now you look at how salvation came to us. God came to earth as a human being. He allowed His Son to be born in a stable to a peasant girl and to a carpenter. And then ultimately He gave His Son up on the cross so that we could have salvation. Doesn't look like a wise plan, does it? In fact, that's why some people think that it's foolishness. But see, when we think about that deeply, we understand you and I just have to trust in that because our minds cannot understand the wisdom of God. His actions and His wisdom are totally unsearchable. Now, what are some implications for us? You might be dealing with an issue in your life. That you're still sitting there saying, I ain't got any answer to this. Okay? That's where God's wisdom challenges us to live wisely. See, all of us in here have a lot of knowledge, but we don't always act with a lot of wisdom. So, God challenges us then to live wisely. And how we do that is we live in relationship with God. If He's the all-wise, all-knowing God, then we want to live in relationship with Him to understand that and to have that wisdom. See, uh, Daniel 2.21 says, He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. That's where you take knowledge and wisdom and bring them together for the benefit of making wise decisions. So, let me say three things real quickly about that. First of all, wise living begins with reverence for God. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, basically that means the fear of the Lord means to reverence Him. If you understand that God is holy and reverence Him, then that begins your journey of wisdom and knowledge. But I think there's another sense in which it also needs to be understood, and that is we need to come back to fearing God. And maybe stand before Him in trembling and fear. Because He is a holy God, and He's going to bring about judgment at some point in time. I think He brings judgment in a lot of different ways. But there is an ultimate judgment that yet is going to come. All this stuff going on in our culture, all the people mocking God, all, one of these days that's going to be judged. And He's going to bring out His wrath upon that. And I think we need to stand in awe and literally fear and trembling before God. But at the same time, it also talks to us about if we're going to live wisely and we're going to live with God's wisdom, we have to be in relationship with God. And that says to you today, if you're not in a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, there's no way you can have God's wisdom to help guide you in any kind of decision or issue or problem that you have. And so, if you're not in Christ, you need to get in Christ with a decision to make Him, to allow Him to be the Savior and Lord of your life. Now, if you're a believer and you don't have the wisdom of God working in your life, you need to evaluate where you are in relationship with God and what you are allowing Him to do in your life. You see, if you want to live wisely, you've got to learn to live under the wisdom of God and in relationship with Him. The second observation is this. Wise living requires that we ask for wisdom and live by it. In James, the first chapter, James tells us that God has all wisdom and He asks us, He invites us, He encourages us to come to Him and ask for it. Beginning in verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, who, who in here does not lack wisdom? See, that's, that's for all of us. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. 
and it will be given to him. See, that means God's not going to criticize you when you ask him for wisdom. God's not going to say, well, you dummy, you should have known this. That's elementary. He said, God's going to give you the wisdom without criticizing you. But then there's the if, the conditional about that. Then if anyone likes asking, he should, he should ask God who gives generously, not finding fault, he'll be given. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he'll receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. That simply means double-minded means you've got a divided mind between belief and unbelief. So, if you ask for that wisdom, you got to believe that God's going to give it. You got to ask in confidence because we live in faith. And that means that everything that's going on in your life is an opportunity to ask God for His wisdom. See, every decision you face, no matter what it might be, is the opportunity to ask God for wisdom. And there's no shame in coming before Him and saying, Lord, I just don't know how to heal my marriage. Lord, I just don't know whether I should take this job or not. Lord, I just don't know whether I should move and uproot my family and move them from here to somewhere else. Lord, I just don't know how to manage my finances. Or say, Lord, I just don't know how to be a good parent for my children. See, and it just goes on and on that every decision in life is a prime opportunity to ask God for His wisdom. I like the way Vance Havner. Vance Havner was an evangelist from North Carolina many, many years ago. And he just always laid it out there. And this is what he said. If you lack knowledge, go to school. If you lack wisdom, get on your knees. Knowledge is not wisdom. Wisdom is the proper use of knowledge. And you can only know that in relationship with God. Every decision in your life is the opportunity to ask for God's wisdom. But don't doubt you ever been to the doctor? Not feeling well? He or she examines you, says, I believe you got this. And they write a prescription, says, I think this will take care of it. And you walk out of there, and as soon as you get outside, you bundle that thing up, wad it up, and you throw that prescription in the trash can. You say, doctor's crazy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Why'd you go to him or her in the first place? You're going to ignore the advice? See, if you go to God and you ask for His wisdom and you really want Him to give you your wisdom about a certain situation, you got to believe that. You got to claim that. You got to accept it and apply what He says to you. Okay, now here's the third point as we wrap it up. Then that means that wise living means trusting God completely. Psalm 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and all who follow His precepts have good understanding. To Him belongs eternal praise. So, we see, wise living demands a daily exercise of trust where we constantly trust in God completely. We don't have the mind or the wisdom to understand all the ways of God and all the things that go on in this world. And so simply, we live by faith. We live by faith, trusting in God, knowing that He is the all-wise God. And that He will do what will bring about the greatest possible good for the greatest number of people for the greatest amount of time. And when you're in a relationship with God, totally submitted to Him, surrendered to Him, and accepting on faith that God is the wise God... And that your wisdom and your knowledge can't even begin to compare with His. Then you begin to turn your life over to God and to His wisdom. And you trust that. 
And God invites you to do that through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being the wise God who brings wisdom into our world. And we thank you for your word that explains that to us. And when we face circumstances around the world that we don't understand, we deal with issues in our own life that we can't understand. Help us to understand by faith that you are the wise God. And that you're going to do what's best for us in the ways that you think are the best way to bring about your desired result. Help us, Father, have the faith to trust in your wisdom and your guidance. And to follow your leadership in all of life. And Father, I pray for those who are struggling with issues and questions and doubts. Father, I encourage them that through uh, your nudging through the Holy Spirit, that you would encourage them to come and ask of you for that wisdom, and that then they would listen to your leadership. For those who have not totally allowed you to be Lord of their life, they believe in Christ as Savior, but not let Jesus be Lord, allow them to come under your Lordship and accept your wisdom. And for those today that might not be in a relationship with you, who need to know you through faith and the forgiveness of sins, and the, that the foolishness of the cross is actually your wisdom to bring about salvation, I pray that those decisions will be made today to your glory. Father, I pray it all in the name of Jesus Christ.